The story of Herod and the Magi is given to us for a couple of reasons. I believe the primary reason is to show us a contrast between the two ways we can respond to the reality of Jesus. You can respond like Herod, who saw Jesus as a threat, or you can respond like the Magi, who saw him as a gift. Those who see Jesus as a threat, they they see only what Jesus might require of them or, or take from them or remove from them. Those who see Jesus as a gift see him in light of who he is for them, who he is for the world. You see this reflected clearly in Matthew's text. You see Herod's response, and you see the Magi's response. Look again at the first three verses of chapter 2. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. We heard there's a king and we want to worship him. They are grateful. When Herod the king heard this, was he grateful? No, it says he was troubled. The understatement of the millennia. If Jesus is who he claimed to be, who the angels in the sky declared him to be, who the prophets foretold him to be, then indeed there are really only two ways to respond to him. If he really is the king, then you are either threatened by that or you are overjoyed at that. Now, I put that out there and immediately we start to reflect and we say, well, which am I, if that's true? Am I, am I threatened by the reality of this king that's been born into this world or am I overjoyed at it? It's not that simple. Let me muddy the waters for us a little bit. I would say to you that, that he is, for each of us, both a threat and a gift at all times. Jesus is both a threat to us and a gift to us at all times. Uh, let me explain. We'll start with the threat piece. You know, it's very easy for us, and you, you can make a case, very appropriate for us to, to judge Herod really harshly. After all, he does some truly horrific things when he finds out that there's this other king in town. But here's the, here's the truth of Herod's situation. Herod has a horrible heart inside of him. But it's the same heart that I have. And I don't want to tell you this, but it's the same heart that you have too. Here's how I know this. You know what Herod wanted? Herod wanted to be king. He's got a good gig and he's sitting on a throne. And when somebody comes in and they're like, hey, we're looking for the king. And they're not talking about him. He feels threatened by that. And yes, it's easy to go hard on Herod because, you know, look, the only people who are threatened by babies are babies themselves. But Herod is threatened because he, like you and like me, he wants to be king. He wants to determine the rules. He wants to set the boundaries. He wants to be in charge. He wants to be on the throne. And that's what I want. I want to be in charge of my life and yours. And you want to be in charge of your life and mine. But the problem is we we can't all be king. And yet, if Jesus is who he claimed to be, who the angels and the prophets and the shepherds and everybody said he would be, if he's the king, then to recognize that truth and say he is the rightful king of the world, then that pushes me off of the throne. The implications are deep for me. If he's king, then I'm what? Not. 
and neither is Herod, and neither are you. That's what makes the kingship of Jesus an inherent threat to all of humanity. It is a threat to our ego. I would go so far as to say that if, that if, you're, if you're here this morning and you, you don't yet consider yourself a follower of Jesus, despite perhaps growing up going to church like this and, and hearing the stories, having the truth of Jesus being proclaimed to you or shouted at you or told to you, if you don't yet believe, I would say that it comes down to, despite all the other reasons you have, what it comes down to this is that wrestling for authority over your own life. Because in the end, if Jesus is who he said he is, it has implications over who sits on the throne. It means that there's a God and you're not it, which means you're subjugated to him. And who finds that to be a fun idea, at least initially? Nobody. If Jesus is king, then he's a threat to all of us. Because we all want that job. Now, on the flip side, Jesus is also, at all times, a gift to us. He's, at all times, a gift to every single one of us. Whether you love him or not, know him or not, believe in him or not, worship him or not, he's still a gift given to you. And the reason he's a gift is because of the kind of king that he is. You see, if Jesus had showed up and he was a king like Herod was king, or Henry VIII was king, or even Elvis was king, uh, it would be a blue Christmas for us all. That's an Elvis joke, the deep cut. You'll get it later. But what kind of king is he? Well, Jesus himself tells us the kind of king that he is over and over again. Jump with me now to the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark chapter 10. This is Jesus talking about himself. He does this thing every once in a while where he talks about himself in the third person. When you're king of the world, you can do that, and it's not weird. He talks about himself as the son of man, which means that he is the, the servant of man, even as he is the savior of man. He says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's what kind of king he is. He's a king who bends low and loves the people who are at the ground floor. He's a serving king who gives his life, who gives his whole being, his whole person to love you and to love me. He lives and dies so that he can forgive any sin, any struggle, whatever it is, so that there might be mercy and grace without end covering every corner of your life and mine. He's the kind of king who is born as a baby. Why do you think he arrives as an infant rather than just showing up as a full-grown man and be like, oh, I'm God, crown me? Why do you think he arrives as an infant? It's to show who he came for. He came for the weak. He came for the lowly. He came for those who shiver in the cold of the night. He came for those who would have been born in the back alleys of Bethlehem with no place to lay their head. He came for those who are weak, who are low, who know that when it comes down to it, they've got nothing in their hands to offer a holy God. They are empty-handed, empty-hearted, broken, and burdened. If you are that person, if you've ever felt like the outsider, if you've ever felt weak, if you've ever felt low, if you've ever felt shame, then Jesus is your king. And if you think to yourself, well, I've never felt low, I've never felt shame, just give it a minute. (laughs) 
Jesus is the kind of king who comes and he gives his whole life for you and for me. And he loves us and he serves us. That's the kind of king that he is. He's a gift to us. He's a gift. This Jesus who sits on the throne is a threat to our ego, but also a gift to us who are broken people. Now, you could make the case then that, that if this is true, then, then the whole life of faith is essentially about coming to terms with the fact that, that my heart has Herodian impulses. I, I want to remain on the throne and I, and I turn away from that each and every day towards the truth that I am not my own, that Jesus is my king. The whole of the Christian life is about turning away from the desire to be my own king and bowing my knee to the one who has laid down his life for me. That's the whole journey. Each and every day I get up and I say, I want to be king. I'm not king. Jesus is my king. And then I walk through my life acting like I'm king of the world. Sometimes it happens. Ask my family. And then I get profoundly convicted and I realize I'm not the king. I'm not the king. Jesus Christ with his mercy and grace is my king. It's that over and over and over again. That, that's the whole thing. It's about a perpetual journey from the heart of Herod to the heart of the Magi. From my Herod heart to my Magi heart. That's the journey of faith. Now, I say that, and, and, and you and I, we jump to this, this place where we start to assess ourselves. Well, I wonder how I'm doing with that. I wonder, I wonder which view of Jesus is winning out for me today. Do I see him primarily as a threat to me today, or do I see him as, a, uh, do I see him as the gift to me today? Well, I, I would offer to you that the way to assess kind of how you're doing in this journey of, of turning away from your Herodian impulses and turning toward this view of the Magi that sees Jesus as this gift for you and for this world is to look at what you're doing with your heart and with your hands. Again, this is where I think the story is really instructive for us. Herod saw Jesus primarily, if only, as a threat to himself. And so, as a result, he did some truly horrific things. But, but on the whole, what you could say is what he did is, because he saw Jesus as a threat to himself, he, he tightened his grip on the world around him. He increased his grip on, on the power that he had, on the position that he had. He leveraged his influence to hurt and harm other people because he felt threatened by the presence of another he did everything he could to tighten his grip on the world around him because somebody else was a threat to him. Now contrast that with the Magi. The Magi see Jesus as a king who is a gift to them and to the whole world. And what do they do? They seek him out. They journey towards him. And then famously, what do they do? They, they open their hands and they worship him and they give gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and a PS5. That's what they give him. That's what every kid wants, even baby Jesus. They seek him out, they open their hearts, they worship him, they give gifts to him. So the one who sees him as a threat is trying to hold on tight to things of this world. And the ones who see him as a gift, 
They open up their hands in generosity and joy. They open up their hearts in worship and gratitude. And it makes sense, right? Like, like if you feel threatened by, by somebody else's lordship and influence over your life, of course you're going to double down on the things of this world. and You're going to hold on more tightly to whatever power you have, to whatever resources you have. You're going to leverage whatever position you have to maintain your spot in this world. To hold on to the fact that you're right in that relationship or you're the boss at work or you have more resources than your brother or you've got a better standing than your neighbor. You're going to hold on tight to those things as a way of securing yourself in a world that's threatening you. But on the other side, if you believe that you've received the greatest thing in the world... then you'll be able to let go of the things of the world. If you believe that you've received the greatest thing, that you are known by him, loved by him, accepted by him, that mercy and grace covers over every dark spot of your existence and that you will live in eternity with him like nothing that happens in this world, even death, can shake you from his grace. Like that's in your hands, it's in your heart, it's your possession. And if that's true, then that's the greatest gift in the world. And if you believe that you have to overflow the greatest gift in the world, then you are free to release your grip on all the other gifts of this world. To open your heart and your hands with with generosity and sacrifice and love. You're free to forgive the person who wronged you. You're free to give to your neighbor in need. You're free to offer a second chance to your coworker. You're free to splurge on the need of somebody else. You're free to do these things because you say to yourself, I really intended to hold on, but I have the greatest gift in the world. So I can let go of this gift in this world. You see how that works? You want to see how you're doing with pivoting away from the heart of Herod and toward the heart of the Magi. Just look at what's happening in your heart and with your hands. Are you holding on for dear life? Are you opening up and are you able to be forgiving? Are you able to be gracious? Are you able to be generous? Because if you've received the greatest gift in the world, you can loosen your grip on the gifts of this world. If you want to grow in becoming a, uh, an authentically generous person, I, I, have, I have one piece of advice for you, and, and it's the same medicine I give to myself. If you want to grow in being authentically generous, and, and the reason I say authentically generous is because you can be a person who gives and shares from a Herod heart. You give and you share as a way of propping up your own ego. You give and you share as a way of making yourself feel good or look good in the eyes of others. You see, it's still all about you and protecting yourself even as you're outlaying gifts or generosity or forgiveness to other people. It's still really all about you. But you want to give and share and be sacrificial and compassionate from a genuine place, from a changed heart. Here's how. You take the time that you are offered this year, this moment, this advent into this Christmas to focus on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And let that fill 
and change and shape your heart. What, what does that look like? Well, you made a good start by being here today. Congrats you. You make time to, to, to read the story, like Matthew chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, John chapter 1. Those are the chapters. Read them. Read it to your kids. Sing the songs. Uh, stick around for the concert in a few minutes. Sing more songs. Light the Advent candles. Talk about the peace, hope, joy, and love that this King Jesus brings into this world. Take the time to focus on who he is and what he's done for you and then watch as that begins to melt some of the Herodian impulses in your heart and reorient you toward the fact that Jesus Christ is the greatest gift and he's yours. You have him. He's here. He's for you. He's yours. And then watch what that does to the stuff that's in your hand and your desire to hold on tight. You see, you can't hold in your hands the truth that Jesus is the king who gives you everything you need and your desire to be in control in the same grip. You can't. You gotta let go. If you would like to nurture your understanding that Jesus is not merely a threat to your kingdom, and lean into the truth that he is a gift to you as king of this world who's come for you. I would encourage you to focus on, on wrestling with answering three questions. I always like to give you something toward the end to kind of put in your back pocket and take home and talk about. And so this week, I would say that if you want to focus on the gift that Jesus is for you and for your family, wrestle with these three questions. You know, we're in the closing moments of Advent, headed towards Christmas Eve. My hope is that as you have dinner throughout this week or as you sit down with the family throughout this week, you're having some meaningful, like, Christ-focused conversations, even just a little bit. Take these questions and fold them in. Maybe talk about this. The first question is this. What floors you about the fact that Jesus Christ has taken on flesh for you. We so easily gloss over the truth that Jesus Christ, God's own son, God himself, has taken on our flesh and blood and lived in this world. The incarnation is overwhelming, yet we just eh, gloss over it. Take a moment to think about the fact that he has breathed the same air. He has walked the same ground. He has dealt with the same annoying people. It's, it's true. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ was tempted in every way that we are. You know how sometimes you get tempted to like, you know, treat people who chew really loudly, really poorly? Or maybe that's just me. Jesus had to deal with that too. He had to deal with all those things. Whatever it, ta whatever it takes to make you just kind of like let your jaw drop in awe and admiration for the fact that Jesus endured life in this world the way you endure it for you. Maybe it's the fact that he breathed our air, he walked our streets, or he dealt with the same people. What is it for you? Dwell on it for a moment. Second question to wrestle with is this. What ongoing struggle makes you most grateful for God's unending mercy that's yours in Jesus Christ? And we're getting deeper now. If you want to have a deep conversation with someone that you love, if you want to go deep in your faith and in your life with them, Talk about this openly and honestly. What ongoing struggle makes you deeply grateful for the unending mercy that is yours in Jesus Christ? 
I know how it works. Though I'm the pastor, I'm the same person as you. There are things that I confess each week, and then I come back the next week, I'm like, ha, same list. <laughs> and then I come back two weeks later, it's been a little better. And then the week after that, oh, I've got new things to add, right? There is unending mercy for your ongoing struggles. What's your ongoing struggle for which you are grateful for that unending mercy? And then lastly, think about the future. What aspect of life in the new world guaranteed for us in Jesus Christ are you most excited for? What Christians believe is that this this baby who, who arrived once in weakness, this Jesus will, will arrive again in power. He was born in weakness into a struggling world and he will, he will come again in power and recreate this world. A world where there's no more tears, no more pain, none of the difficult things that we deal with now, none of that exists. It's just joy, it's just goodness. It's just the things that make life worth living. It's just those things with God, with each other forever. Is there an aspect of that new creation, that new reality guaranteed in Jesus Christ that when you think about it, you're looking forward to? Maybe it's a face you're looking forward to see. What is it about that new world? Wrestle with those things. Talk about those things. And see if that doesn't stir up your gratitude for this King Jesus. We're so tempted to see him as a threat to us about the fact that he's Lord over our lives and all the things that that means we can't do. No. What are all the things he's done for you? And he's guaranteed to you. And he's promised to you. Let that well up some gratitude in you. Matthew must have thought that the, the story of Herod and the Magi was of utmost importance. He must have thought that because if you read through the Gospels, he dedicates more time in his Gospel to that encounter than any other aspect of the birth of Jesus. In Matthew's Gospel, there's no mention of the manger, there's no mention of the shepherds, but he wants us to understand the Magi and Herod. I think the reason that is, is because that part of the story is the part of the story that humanity can most relate to itself. That's us in the story. The promise of a savior is this distant reality, like a twinkling star in the sky, and then all of a sudden, he appears. And everyone has to figure out how they feel about him. All of a sudden he appears and some, some will feel threatened by him and they will tighten their grip on their world and say, no, there's no king but me. And others will journey toward him and they will seek him and they will open their hearts and their hands and and they will give gifts to him because they will see that he is a gift to me. Which one of those impulses will win out for you? If you want to make this a Christmas of another kind, be more of a magi. Believe that he's a good gift and a good king. King nonetheless, but a good one. Seek him, open your heart to him, 
open your hands to him and let generosity and compassion, mercy and grace flow through you to the rest of the world because you've already received the greatest gift in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to sing these songs this time of year, that we get to, we get to center ourselves around this, this true story of the arrival of your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, we, we have to admit that, that because Jesus Christ is your son, God himself, king of the world, that, that it confronts our ego. We want to be king. Believer, non-believer, we, we all want the same thing. We want to be in charge of our own life, and yet the reality of Jesus confronts that in us. Father, help us to see Jesus not in light of what he will demand from us, which is our desire to be in control, but instead to see him as the good, generous, gracious king that he is, willing, able to forgive all that ails us willing, able to resurrect us, willing and able to love us and lead us through anything that happens to us. Help us to see him for the gift that he is in light of who he is. And may that open our hearts and our hands to be more generous, more compassionate, more forgiving, more loving people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.